are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Welcome to Growth University, and we begin a new series tonight as our ushers take up the offering. Please feel free to contribute to that in this house or online. Um, Last week, we finished a four-week series called Gifted on the Spiritual Gifts, and we hope and pray that that was a blessing and a source of encouragement to you in your walk with God. The Word of God can do so many things in us through just a lesson, even one sermon. God can speak to us in so many ways. He can challenge us. He can correct us, inspire us, motivate us. Nothing can affect our lives like the Word of God can. And so I don't take another series lightly, but I understand the potential and the power that the Word of God has in your life. No matter what the topic is, as long as it's out of Scripture, then there's no limit to its ability to help you and to lift you up. And so tonight we begin a study on the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is an important book, and this is something that is especially true to us as Pentecostals. And one of the objectives of this series is to give information that helps us better understand why we approach this key book of the New Testament in a way that not all Christians approach this book. Opinions on Acts in the theological world are in some ways very polarizing. I'm sure that you've probably had this experience where you've read maybe verses in Acts and different translations and you're like, huh? That doesn't mean what I thought it meant. That doesn't sound like what I learned because the theological world doesn't exactly agree for the most part with how we view it. And so I just want to briefly explain here and we will get more into that at the end of the lesson tonight. But Simply stated, some people would argue that Acts is just a book of history, that it tells what life was like in the early church, and there's really nothing more to get out of it than just facts and names and places. And so because of that opinion, some would argue that there is no real theological significance for us in the book of Acts as the modern-day church. But the fundamental belief of the Pentecostal movement is that we must model ourselves after the New Testament church. Amen. We pursue this through our preaching, our teaching, our church life, the use and the encouragement of the use of the spiritual gifts, and our belief in holiness. For us, the book of Acts is the key to the rest of of the New Testament. We do not just look at this book as a model of how church should be done, but we also see Acts as a guide to know and to see how key biblical doctrines were correctly understood and lived out in the formative days of the church. And we at TCC are Pentecostal in experience, and we are apostolic in our doctrine. And I realize that that's a very theological statement, and I'm very sensitive to that because I always want to make sure that what I'm saying about what I believe, the people I'm talking to understand what I'm saying. 
And so one thing we all need to understand and be able to explain is simply this. We're Pentecostal because we believe that the experience of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, is something to be experienced by every generation. Amen. And we are apostolic because we believe and we seek to teach all that the apostles believed and exactly what they taught in the early days of the church. And so simply put, Acts is important because it gives us a summary of what the people who followed Jesus did after his ascension. Jesus left, right? And he left his church to the people that he had spent time with. And this is why we look to Acts as the authority on how to be saved. Because Acts answers very important questions for you and I. They are mainly, what did the people closest to Jesus, the ones he spent the majority of his ministry and time with, what did those people believe? And what did those people teach Now, we know that the 12 disciples were chosen by Jesus himself. And the 11 that were left at the beginning of Acts had been mentored by him. And they were prepared, whether they realized it or not, they were ready to lead God's church. And so it is reasonable. And you and I would argue that it is crucial that we look to the apostles as our examples. We should be able to answer such questions as, what did the disciples teach? What did they practice? What did they tell people who were new to Jesus? Was their ministry consistent with the things that Jesus did and the example that he gave them? Now, this is the part that is exciting to me, that we as Pentecostals are restorationists. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm a restorationist. You may not have known that, but you are. Restorationism, I've got a slide for you. You may want to write it down if you're not familiar with the term, is an attempt to restore the church to the doctrine and practice of the earliest Christians, meaning those found in the book of Acts, free from the influence of church history and church tradition. Oh my. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of church history as it relates to the last 120 years specifically. And so the modern Pentecostal movement began in the early part of the 20th century with the revival that started in a Bible school called Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. And Charles Parham was the founder of that Bible school. He is also the one who many would consider the founder of the modern Pentecostal movement. It all began with a simple assignment to the students of his Bible school. Their only textbook at that Bible school was the Bible. That was all they had. Because Charles Parham had had been led to believe that, you know what, I think we've gotten away from Scripture a little bit in the last few hundred years. And so their assignment was very simple. He asked his class, I want you to look through Scripture. And I want you to find what is the sign, what is the indication that someone has been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
using only scripture. I want you to come back to the next class with an answer for me. And so his students came back to class with a list of several passages. Guess where from? The book of Acts. And so their answer, their general consensus was that according to scripture, the sign of people being filled with the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. And this is my favorite part. After class that day, a young Bible school student named Agnes Osman, now she's not young in that picture, but at least we have an idea of what she looked like. Agnes Osman approached her teacher, Charles Parham, and asked for him to pray for her to receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that powerful? That some precious girl, some Bible school student said, well, if it's in Scripture and you're saying that it is, we all found the same answer, then pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And Agnes received the Holy Spirit before Charles Parham did. My God, isn't that powerful? And so a few years later, this movement spread to Los Angeles, California. And William Seymour received the same revelation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit because he was looking at the book of Acts. And the Azusa Street Revival became a phenomenon that caught the attention of the nation and even the world. And if you've ever wondered what it looked like, that's a picture of what it looked like. The genesis of our organization, the United Pentecostal Church, can trace its roots all the way back to the Azusa Street Mission. And I don't know if some of you remember the story that Bishop Dad would tell about how his parents drug him to Azusa Street in the middle of their Disneyland vacation because they understood the significance of what happened there that day. And if you haven't listened to it, you need to go on the church website and under Epic Stories, you can find it. It is amazing. It is a classic NRP2 rant. It is awesome. But there's a picture there of our founding bishops, Norman and Mary Alice Pasley, because I wanted to take this opportunity to make sure you understood that they were among the first cardholders of the United Pentecostal Church International. In fact, they were the only married couple who were both signers and present at that merger. They both attended, they both voted at the merger, held between two early oneness organizations, the PCI and the PAJC, and those organizations came together to form the United Pentecostal Church, the organization that we're a part of. And so it is not a stretch to say that the Calvary Church can trace its roots all the way back to Azusa Street and to Topeka, Kansas. Amen. That is awesome. And so the author of the book we'll be using this month makes this compelling statement. The modern Pentecostal movement is the most significant revival in the history of Christianity. And so this month we'll be using the Apostolic Handbook series. Again, we used this series for the series that we did earlier this year on the Gospels. And I'd encourage anyone who's interested in some in-depth study on certain books of the Bible to look that up under the uh, Pentecostal Publishing House website. All right? And so as Julie Andrews once sang, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. 
All right, so let's start with the author. Let's look at who wrote the book of Acts. Hopefully, if we don't know it already, some of us might remember from our series on the Gospels, who wrote the book of Acts. Luke, that's right, our friend Dr. Luke. I just had to use that picture again because I think it's so cool to think about these people are not just cartoon characters. They were real people, people. Yes, they were. Luke, this is what we know about him. I have some bullet points if you're taking notes. We know that he was a physician. It's important that we understand that that profession was not the same in the ancient world as it is today. It did not implicate high economic status or even high social status. One commentary I read said they were actually more of like a slave role than actually, you know, how we would view a doctor at our time. He was a Gentile. Most likely, he was a devout believer who had not fully converted to Judaism. I think of somebody like Cornelius, that Luke would be comparable in his experience to Cornelius. We know that Luke was highly intelligent, that his intellect was probably on par with the Apostle Paul. And one of the reasons why we know this is because he wrote in the best Greek possible, the highest level of the Greek language. That's the language that he chose to write his gospel in, and he's the only New Testament writer that was able to do that. So that is significant. We know that he was well-connected. He wasn't an eyewitness to the life of Christ, but most likely he was a second-generation believer. And I love that. It wasn't all about that first generation of disciples, but, but Luke himself was a second generation and yet clearly played a very significant role in the early church. We know that Luke traveled extensively, and most likely he received some of his information directly from Mary, the mother of Jesus. You talk about hearing the Christmas story, how amazing would it be to sit down with Mary? I'm guessing she was like a celebrity in the early church. That's, that's what I would think anyway. But Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician. That Luke was with Paul up until the very end of his life. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, Only Luke is with me right now. Luke was loyal to the Apostle Paul. And so let's talk about the date that Acts would have been written. Since the events of Acts seem to follow directly after the events in Luke, I think it's reasonable to assume that Acts was written after Luke. Most likely, Acts was written before AD 70, specifically before the death of Paul and the destruction of Jerusalem, because Luke doesn't mention either one of those events, and both are very significant to the early church. So, Luke's audience. It's interesting to note that in both books, both Luke and the book of Acts, Luke does not identify himself directly as the author of those books. However, both of those books were addressed to Theophilus. Do you remember our friend Theophilus? Yes. There's some interesting debate on who Theophilus actually was. Some believe that Luke might have actually been his personal physician. Again, mirroring that more of a a servant role in that time and place. But many scholars assume that Theophilus was Luke's 
patron or he was his sponsor. He funded Luke. He gave him income so that Luke could take the time off of work, so to speak, to write Luke and the book of Acts. It is possible that Acts was even dictated to Theophilus by Luke. I think that's so interesting. But the fact that Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus could indicate that he had some social status. It seems likely that Theophilus was Roman and possibly even a Roman official. How cool is that, an early Christian, a Roman official? Just proves you can live for God anywhere, in any time, any environment. It is possible. So I think the heart of what we want to say tonight to introduce you to the book of Acts is the subject of the genre of the book of Acts because it is different than any other book in the New Testament. And if there's one thing I hope that you are learning at Growth University consistently, I hope it is that it is very important that we understand the context of Scripture. Context is key. And if you're a parent, or you're someone's kid, by now you've realized and you've lived out this fact in some measure that truth is not solely based on what is said, but it's also based on how it's said and when it's said, meaning to us the context of a statement, the context of a verse is vital. You know, it's quite a unique experience as a parent to hear your children misquote you It's pretty shocking, especially if it's to another adult. And I guess the reason why this is in the forefront of my mind is we started a new school year and we have new teachers. And even though I try to resist the temptation, I find myself nervously pointing out, please do not judge us by what they tell you about us. Please give us the benefit of the doubt. But there's a whole nother level of conflict that happens when you hear your child misquote you to your spouse. Like that, that gets intense really fast. And something that I say a lot about my children is, Lord, help them to live. Help me not to hurt these children that you have blessed me with in this moment because they are lying. They are misrepresenting what I said. They are taking what I said out of context for their own benefit. Now, I never did that as a child. I don't think mom can correct me. She's welcome to do that. But I did have a sibling who did it all the time. But she's not here, so it's down to two. You can guess which one it was. I was always horrified when she did that. How could you? But context is key in life, in relationships, especially in reading and studying Scripture. If we do not understand why and how something is being said in the Bible, the result can be spiritually hazardous to us. And so tonight, because we're all scholars together in this moment, we're all Bible scholars at Growth University, A genre is a category or a type of writing. And so understanding the genre of a particular book of the Bible is critical to correctly understanding that book of the Bible and what it is saying to us. 
And so according to the author of our book, modern readers should not assume that biblical genres are necessarily similar to contemporary ones. So please don't check out on me. I I know this is getting a little bit dry, but I'm headed somewhere really powerful. Just give me a second. The primary genre of the book of Acts is narrative history. However, it is a particular kind of narrative history. It is a theological narrative history. Now, this is important, and we made reference to it in the very beginning, that it's the consensus opinion of New Testament scholars in our time that the overarching genre of Acts is history. They all feel good about that. We can all agree it's a great book of history in the early church, but that's all that it is, is what most of them would tell you. But the fact that Acts is theological in nature as well is much more contested. But let us look tonight at how Dr. Luke begins the book of Luke, which is the prologue to the book of Acts. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have, and here's the key, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. These are very important statements because Luke is making clear that he is writing and it's not just a synopsis or a historical account for posterity's sake. Luke was not just writing down history. He was writing a theological history. Luke was saying to Theophilus, I want you to know for certain what you've been taught by us. Luke was letting Theophilus and the rest of his readers know that what he was writing about was not limited to facts. It was not limited to dates and times, places, or even people. What Luke was writing was something that was believed. Something had been fulfilled. Something had been accomplished These things happened, Theophilus. They are significant to you beyond this time and this place. We talked about the fact that Luke took special care to get to the Passion Week in his gospel. In fact, half of the book of Luke is about the cross. And so Luke hurries through the life of Christ because he wants to get his readers to the cross. And so let's look at how Luke begins the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. Let's look for some similarities here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you 
will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so in Acts, we see Luke picking up the salvation story right where he left off in his gospel. Acts begins on the other side of the cross. And that's what makes the book of Acts so significant because everything that the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to share after the cross bears great significance to you and I. And so here's the key for us tonight as we conclude the first installment on the book of Acts. Robin Johnston says this, Understanding the genre of Acts matters because it helps us correctly interpret the book. One reason for some of our our oversights when we're reading and studying the Bible in our modern format, our English Bibles, and we've made reference to this before, but it bears repeating. It's certainly helpful to have the books of the Bible organized into chapter and verse, but sometimes that can put us a little too close to the text and a little too close to the verses that we are reading in a specific moment. And this can cause us to overlook the context that surround the passage just beyond those little verses in front and in back of a verse. And so we can end up reading what is a narrative, a a great big long story like the book of Acts, as just a collection of random short stories. And they weren't written as a collection of random short stories. But by looking at it as a whole and not just piece by piece, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we can actually see one cohesive story. And this enables us to see more clearly the motivation of the storyteller, the man Luke. And essentially, we can hear Luke directing us through all of these stories, all of these things that he chooses to share with us. Luke saying to us, this is what you need to know about the early church, and here's why. All right, so now we've come to app time. And if you're not sitting near someone, I want you to get with some people that you can discuss. Our question with tonight is, in reading the book of Acts over the last two weeks, what has something what is something that has stood out to you about this time through the book of Acts or maybe something that you've never even noticed before? And if you haven't read it in the last two weeks, that's okay. Just think about the last time that you read Acts, okay? So let's discuss it. We have a few moments here together. All right, I invite you to stand with me. 
lively in here. I, I don't know if we're having theological discussions or not. If we are, they're very exciting, and I love that. But I was talking to my, my friend Ben, and he made a great point to say, you know, when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you don't make the connection sometimes that really Luke and Acts go together. And again, back to that whole context, it just opens up your mind and your heart to realize all of these things are connected because the same person God is using to share this incredible story of God's love for us and the cross and what it accomplished and what the people who were closest to Jesus accomplished after he left the earth. I want to read a quote to you um, as we conclude tonight. And it is simply this. I'm sorry if you can't read it on the screen. The book of Acts is said to be the centerpiece of the entire Bible. All of the other books in Scripture either anticipate its activity or utilize its record as a measure for acceptable practices. For many reasons, the book of Acts is the most important book in the entire Bible. Wow. I believe that based on my experience with what the book of Acts talks about. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. I, I have been amazed over the years when I have um, had the privilege to teach people home Bible studies. And we get to the new birth experience and the book of Acts. And I wish I had kept record of how many times people have told me, I don't know anything about the book of Acts you know what, my pastor never once taught or preached out of the book of Acts. And as a Pentecostal, I just could never wrap my brain around how you could skip around a book that is so powerful and so significant, except that maybe you misunderstood its purpose, that it's not just tall tales with Dr. Luke of the exploits of the apostles and all of the miracles and signs and wonders. But we believe as members of the modern Pentecostal movement that we're a part of the book of Acts, that Luke didn't really finish it. But we are a continuation of that story till Jesus comes. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word that it's quick and powerful, that even when we're learning about the people who wrote it and the way that you worked in their lives, Lord, there's just something so amazing that happens in our hearts that just motivates us and encourages us that what we have is real, what we believe is valid according to Scripture. What we have, Lord, in this truth is for everybody. And so, God, I pray that you would just let your word continue to grow in our hearts. Help us to continue reading Acts and bless the next two weeks as we continue our study on it. Be with us the rest of this week and bring us safely together for Friends Day. And let that day bring glory to your great name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. 
you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.